All right, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. Um, I'm going to continue to speak about an uncomfortable subject and pray. We talked about two weeks ago why it's important. And, well, let's go ahead and read the text. It's important because it's the biggest challenge that the church is facing today is is this golden calf that our society and our culture is worshiping and has been doing so since since uh the 60s uh in before that in academia probably since the 20s and the rise of freudian psychology is this golden calf of sexuality and we're going to be hated for it but we can't compromise the truth of God's word and we are facing a challenge looking around here at the empty pews um, this is the norm in most churches, we're, you, we we think it's well. It's just you, it's just here. I mean, we're 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 struggling here, but we're the church in America and in Western culture is struggling. Period. Now you have you have those churches that are able to 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 uh, entertain and do things of that nature, and some of them are doing good works. I'm not going to talk bad about them, but but you have certain. You have churches here and there that are filling seats, but the norm is for most churches they're they're emptying in our culture, and we have this phenomenon of deconstruction, um, where people are basically apostatizing from the faith, and the reason they constantly keep coming to is I do not believe what the Bible says or what preachers preach about sex. So therefore, they abandon their faith, and that's becoming the norm. Uh, and it's also a thing that you and I are going can possibly stumble over in our lives. Those are the reasons why it's important for us to talk about. I can name people right now that I personally know that were in the ministry and are not today because of this subject. They were preaching all over the world, but aren't today. They were they were uh, they had thriving ministries, but not today. And that could be me. That could be you. Uh, we can stumble. We can fall. And then we talked about methodology. What is the methodology? We're not trying. I'm not trying to give you an apologetic in the classical sense of arguing up to the existence of God and arguing up to the to the to to a sense of morality and arguing up. And I'm not trying to. We don't want to approach this as if well, we should preach sexual morality because it's better for X. And then we got into the, the discussion of the ontos, the ontology, which is what we're going to continue talking about today, is the ontology. What is it? But And that gets back into our method. What is sex? What is sexuality? And why is it? And again, why is it important? It's important that we be able to have a sound answer to those who ask us. And in this culture that is literally, this is what they worship. We need to have a sound answer. You need to be equipped to talk about it. What is it? So what is it? It is a creature of God. 
It is a creation of God over which He is Lord. And anything we have to say about it starts from there. He's Lord over this area of your life. He's Lord over this subject. And what does it mean for Him to be Lord? Well, it means that He made it, He defined it, He put boundaries around it, and those are authoritative because He is Lord. So we introduced this idea last week about distinctions. What are one of the things that our modern culture teaches about sex is that there is no distinctions of things. There is no right or wrong. There is no, there is no good or evil. There is, there, 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 well, and, and whatever makes you feel good is right. What is, is another way of, of the evolutionary saying of what is is right or, or what, whatever. Uh, uh, if, 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 you, if it makes you happy, well, then more power to you. That's, that's, that's the stance of the world. And it denies this very thing of He made it, He is Lord over it, and He created boundaries. He created distinctions. He made these distinctions, and it's important for us to see what the boundaries are. Now, let's read in Hebrews. Uh, I don't want to be this to be tedious, but I am ultimately as we as we're going to go back and forth to to because uh, I don't want to get away from from giving you um, exegetical uh, uh, study of the Book of Mark and things of that. I, I don't want to set that aside, so we're going to go, go back and forth here eventually. But I, I want as we go through this, I am being purposely. Uh, Methodic. I want to bring this to bear. This is the way, not just about this subject, but about every subject that we must think that we or that we think about. He's Lord over it. He is Lord of all. Hebrews thirteen. Marriage is honorable in all. And the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Here's the distinctions. Something is good. Something is evil. Something is commended and blessed. And something is judged. And I don't want us to think that this is merely um, a remedial thing or, or a light thing. When it says God will judge, it means totally, completely, finally. And our heart breaks, really, for the people that are caught up in these sins because they are under the judgment and wrath of God. A wrath of God, by the way, which you and I were once under ourselves, those of us that are saved. And a wrath of God that is just, because there are distinctions. So last week, that's where we left off. He's Lord, and He's made distinctions. That This egalitarianism of, 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 of the world where it says there are no distinctions to be made, there is no difference between male and female. There is no difference between right and wrong. Uh, this joining of the opposites, uh, this yin and yang, this Jungian psychology that has pervaded the way that we think about this subject and every other subject is, is, is flawed because there are distinctions. What, what do we get in the very first chapter of Genesis is distinctions being made by God who is Lord. And in, 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 I was been reading in the Septuagint, uh, and when we get to there, uh, and we, we get to those chapters where he's making a difference, he literally uh, 
put something up between this and that, day and light, good and or uh, uh, day day and night, uh, uh, land and sea, uh, and he set the boundaries and he put something up between. There are distinctions because he's Lord. And once we wipe the idea away that He is Lord, we're wiping away the idea that the, of distinctions. You can't have, once you have one, you have the other. And that is why not only does the subject of sexuality cause people to, to, uh, to reject the commandments of the Lord, but it also causes them ultimately to reject the Lord Himself in this deconstruction uh, phenomenon that we see, or this apostasy phenomenon. So it's definitely a sin. I want to point out here, uh, there are places where distinctions don't belong. It's definitely a sin to make distinctions in points where God has declared there to be no distinctions. For instance, uh, if God has said, He made of one blood all nations of men and we begin to make distinctions between this kind of person and that kind of person, and we become, become to think that this kind of person is dominant and this kind of person isn't, i.e. racism, then that's an evil thing. We are making distinctions where God has made no distinctions. In fact, God has declared there to be no distinctions. Um, so uh, if God has declared that all are under sin and I declare myself to be righteous, I'm making a distinction that God has not made. And that's, and that's bad. These are distinctions that are contrary to the revealed truths of God. We can be hyper-distinctionalist, <laughs> if you would. We can start making distinctions here and distinctions there, and there are no distinctions. We have to be ruled by what the Word of God says. It's equally sinful to say that there are no distinctions... When God has declared those extinct distinctions to be. Here then is the distinction in Hebrews chapter 13. Marriage is good. Marriage is light. Marriage is blessed. What's outside of it is not. These were, so this is a distinction that God has declared. Uh, and it's not a distinction that you and I can say, well, that, that's just nothing. I mean, it's, it, that, that, that's not, not, not really a cat. That doesn't apply or, or something to that nature. It, 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 it is a good distinction. And we tremble, like I said, and weep for those that we know that says this has no meaning. I can think of people right now that are living literally in sin and say it's nothing and even put the moniker of Christianity upon themselves and say they're perfectly all right because there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with X, whatever that is. These, these people are to be pitied and prayed for because this distinction has real consequences. God will judge. I want to pick up there from there. And I don't want to be overly tedious, and I want to get to some, some meat of the Word of God today. And, and by the way, like I said, this is not a high school health class or a middle school health class. This is a study of God's Word that begins with a simple uh, precondition. God is Lord. God is Lord of all things, including sexuality. Therefore... It must be submitted to Him and to His will. What we have is this idea that, uh, have you heard this phrase? My truth. Say, well, that's your truth. That's, uh, I have my truth. Uh, this, this, this gets to the basis of someone's view of the ontology of something, what something truly is. That something is whatever I, can, whatever I define it to be. It's my truth. And this is running straight into the judgment of God, this kind of language. 
because we have to be submitted to the will. We don't have a truth that is contrary to God's truth in anything. Amen? You, you, you don't, we, don't have, we don't have a truth of our own. If it contradicts God, it's a lie. So really, really, what people are saying when they're saying something like, well, my lie is, the, one, the, the lie that I believe is, and, and if we think more in that terms of that's what they're literally actually saying, if they're saying something that is contrary to what God has said. There is no my truth that is contrary to God. One cannot deny all that the Lord does in His rule over the creature and still end up with something that is true. God, in His sovereign control as Lord, created sexuality as it is. And put the boundaries that exist and has declared and revealed them. God, in His sovereign sovereign authority as Lord, made those boundaries. Just as real as He made the boundary between sea and land. And says, the proud waves must stop here. So that's his, sover- his sovereignty in that subject. God in His imminent presence judges all things. No one can say, this is my truth, when, 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 and go and do what is contrary to the will of God in their life and not expect to face the judgment. Not be, stu- not be brought to the idea that God indeed sees them and is judging them. That's what it means to him be him to be the Lord in this area. So this is, this is another form, and this has been so for a long time. People will talk about authenticity. That's, that's the term of uh, the... the the uh, postmodern existential kind of philosophy. We have to be authentic. Well, here's the problem with authenticity. Uh, if you're to be authentic, you're a sinner who has very sinful desires, right? If we're to be authentic, if we're to be authentic, our authentic self in all things, then we then we would go about uh, doing what doing that which is which is wicked all the time. The authentic self that tries to act autonomous outside of the lordship of God in this area or any other area find themselves really to be in rebellion against God. We're revealing our sinfulness. Being true to oneself is a misnomer. We ought rather to be true to God. For instance, the easiest thing to do is lie. I'm just being my authentic self if I tell you a lie. Right? I, 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 am, I am doing what is true to my nature by, by, by speaking lies and taking advantage of you or doing something to that nature. That's just what comes natural to me and, and natural to you, by the way, as well, because you have the same human nature as I do. But if I am to be true to God, what am I? I have to be honest about all things. I have, to, I, 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 have to, I have to curb what I desire and what I want in order to be true to Him. I know that's a bad example, but uh, that's kind of, kind of the best example I could come up with on the fly. So, the, uh, this idea of authenticity runs is basically this idea... That I am autonomous and I get to choose. That word autonomous just simply means self-rule. I am, my, so I, I am a law unto myself. And there is no law outside of me. That's what autonomy means. And men who are autonomous will grope for value in, in the acts that they have set outside of a real authority and for beauty in what keeps producing chaos in their lives. Let me ask you. Since the sexual revolution of the 60s, which has continued to grow and to develop into the culture you and I have, are people happier? No. You, do you know, you don't know too many really happy people, do you? 
they're, they're, they're not happy or living out their truth. They're not happy in their authentic self that they've cut off from reality. They're not, they're not happy, they're, they're the, they're, which is all the more reason we pity them. We pity because they have set aside purpose and the only purpose there is is what makes them feel good and they go out to live that out and they have chaotic lives. There's not one of them that is happy with the choices they're making. Why? Because sex outside of real lordship is a recipe for meaninglessness and emptiness. It does not make people whole. And that's what they're being told. They're they're being told that this makes them whole. That them just being authentic about whatever their desires and acting on those desires and expressing those desires openly somehow is making them a whole and a real person. And it's making them broken. It's, it's making them to where they have to have this medication to get through the day. And, and they have to have these supports here and this support here just to get through this. And they have to have this safe place and that safe place. And they, and they have to have all these things in place just for them to feel safe. And just for them to feel like they... It's a broken system. It's a, it, it, it's a mirage. It's, it's not true. It, it is meaninglessness and empty. It does not make people whole. It does, not cre- it, do- it does only create new depths of pain and new depths of sickness in them. It is not cathartic. And by that word, it's not cleansing. And we're going to get more into that idea here shortly. Well, not today. But it's not cathartic. It's polluting. Uh, This is deeper into a subject I'm not willing to get, but but, uh, there's a lot of remorse that goes into acting upon what you want. And that's so with anything. I still feel bad about making fun of a kid when I was in high school. right? There's remorse that goes with things that you do that you know is wrong, and you do them anyway, and there's always going to be a remorse. uh, Holly was uh, just sharing with me someone that she taught like 10 10 years ago that uh, that sent a message that she's really sorry for the way she treated her (laughs) or something to that effect. Uh, that's, That's because things you do that you know are wrong create remorse. It's not cathartic. It's polluting. In its zeal to escape judgment, it trembles to know that it is destined to be judged by its true Lord. So therefore, what does Romans say? They have to push the knowledge of God away. You can't have what you want and have the Lord too. It's Christ or chaos. It's, it, 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 it's the Lord or you. And um, you're, you and I are terrible people to live with. <laughs> amen? All right, you don't have to amen. All right. Sex then must be something subject to God. He's Lord. This observation, however, does not answer a lot of questions, but it has to be this necessary first step. Anytime we're talking about this subject, we have to come back to say, ho, 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 ho. We have to figure this out. Who's in charge of this? Who's Lord over it? Is it you or is it God? And that's how it has to be. It has to be the first step in understanding this or anything else. What one believes about sex and what one does sexually must be subject to God as Lord. Without, without a fear of redundancy here, I, I want to get into some things. Creating the physical world, like I talked about last week, and establishing boundaries and distinctions and a moral framework for reality, God automatically has asserted His Lordship over us. Those who view nature as having no real nature, that's literally the view, that there is no such thing as nature. That's that's literally the, the, uh, the ideology that is taught. Uh, if you want the more technical term, there is something called essential. I'm not going to write that on the board. Essentialism, and they say, "Oh, you're oh you're an essentialist. You believe that there is an, actually a nature in things, and how far we've come philosophically." Immanuel Kant says we can't really know the nature of a thing, and now we say there is no nature of anything. There is no way that things are are, are to be. 
That's literally the philosophy of our day. Nature doesn't exist. Does that make sense to you? You see how we're cutting ourselves off from reality in our culture? Nature doesn't exist. So those who view nature as having no real nature, or another word for this, no real purpose, do so in order to suppress the idea that He's Lord. Once you have purpose, you have God. Once you have purpose, you have God. You might want to give him a call. To view the physical world as having no telos, no purpose, is purposefully ignorant of what we observe. There's purpose in everything. There's purpose in an acorn, right? And it's not just so, so uh, they can... They can bounce off the tree when I'm mowing and hit me in the face or, or something. There, there's purpose in an acorn. What, what's the purpose in an acorn? To become an oak. <laughs> to become an oak. Uh, there's purpose in every cell of your body. It's called DNA. What's the purpose of that DNA? To recreate that cell. Which on a macro level creates your liver, creates your kidneys, creates your heart, creates your brain. You are a living, walking purpose. Amen? There's purpose in nature. But yet, people are going around, there is no nature, there is no nature, there is no purpose, there is nothing, there's only what we create, there is only what we have in our own mind, there is only the expression of our desires, that's all there is. This is bad philosophy. And it's bad theology when people are getting up in pulpits and teaching it. And yes, people are getting up in pulpits and teaching this kind of stuff because they're capitulating to their culture. And the ones that aren't are just like us, a lot of empty pew space. What does Psalm 19 say? The heavens are the work, the heavens are the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. Everything you see, everything that exists, including this subject, declares the glory of God, declares His handiwork, shows His purpose in what He has put into it. And it, it, it goes throughout all time in Psalm 19.2. It is day unto day, it is seen. Night unto the night, it speaks knowledge of the one true God. There's purpose. And we have to declare purpose. We cannot capitulate to an ideology that says purpose isn't real. But it is. Because God is real and He's Lord. And by the, and by the way, this, is, this ideology is not going to sustain itself. It's going to continue on. It's going to, it's going to, uh, it's going to implode upon itself. And we're going to watch our culture just... To deteriorate around us. Mankind in rebellion against God will foolishly declare the physical world as purposeless plastic. What do people, what, what, what do these people believe about the world that we're living in? The physical bodies that we live in, they believe this is plastic and they can make it into whatever form they want to make it in accordance with their own mind. That's the philosophy. The physical world is plastic without purpose. And the only purpose it has is the purpose I give it. Because I am God. It's subtle. But how do you answer that? You answer it with the truth. This is not, uh, I'm going to try to prove to them that there might be a God. You answer them with the truth. There is a God, He's Lord and not you. That's, That's how it must be answered. It must be answered Your will is not supreme. His is. They declare that they are their own gods and go about to use the physical world as they will. What is is moral, they say, is what we choose to do. If we choose to do this one thing or that other thing, who's to say? That's, That's a favorite phrase, right? Who's to say that I'm wrong? Who are you? What are the two words of the Bible that everybody's memorized? Judge not. (laughs) 
That's the mo- that, it used to be John 3.16. Everybody knew John 3.16. Now everybody knows one portion of Matthew 7.1. Not even the whole verse. <laughs> Two words. Who are you to tell me I'm wrong? Well, first of all, I'm nobody. My favorite Western of all time is my name is nobody. <laughs> because the character was no was this amazing character that was all about giving glory to someone else. I'm nobody, but Lord is everything. His glory is more important than anything. So I declare Him. I'm nobody to tell you what to do. You're right. But He's everything. He's God. He's true And He has told you what to do. He has set boundaries. He has told you what is right and what was wrong. What the boundaries of your conduct are supposed to be. And if you do not repent and turn to Him and seek to do His will, He will judge you. This is foolish reasoning that they are engaging in. And it leads to chaos. It leads to construction. Can you imagine a moral world where my hands can be used to labor or to kill, and there is no moral distinction between the two. Okay? Can you imagine such a world? These are my hands, my physical hands, and they can, they can do work, or they can kill people, and there is no moral difference. Doesn't that sound silly? Right? I mean, not, not, not even the worst secularist will say that that's a sound philosophy to live by. But yet, when it comes to this subject, that's exactly what they say. It is. Egalitarianism. There is no distinctions. That's a horrific philosophy. How far down the road of moral depravity is one willing to let this this continue as we drift towards utter chaos? And people putting arbitrary lines in the sand such as elusive definitions of... I mean, think think about how people in this subject are groping for a way to put real... to put some kind of boundary. And then they can't define the boundary. You'll get... if you... uh, the word that gets thrown around nowadays is this word consent because that makes everything okay consent but no one can define what that word means and they're struggling with it on college campuses right, right now and uh, trying to figure out what consent even means why because it's just an arbitrary line in the sand that said okay we have to have some kind of line somewhere because we're not willing to go that far Yet, so they, they find that that sand is that line in the sand is just so easily erased. You ever seen uh, Bugs Bunny <laughs> in Yosemite Sam? He draws a line, and and uh, and uh, Yosemite Sam crosses. He draws another line, and Yosemite Sam crosses it, and another line, and Yosemite Sam crosses it, and then Yosemite Sam goes right off the cliff. Uh, that's kind of the picture here. Am I the only one that watches Bugs Bunny? All right. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid this isn't a sophisticated audience. <laughs> anything can be justified by autonomous mankind. And I literally mean anything. And we're seeing that today. Anything can be justified. Right now. I, I, saw, I thought this was amazing 10 years ago. Yeah, it's almost been 10 years ago. I was sitting in a master levels classroom. uh, And I was finding peer-reviewed scientific journals saying pedophilia is not really that bad. What was in the classroom in peer-reviewed scientific journals is now in state lawmakers' debates. There are literally states right now that are trying to remove all age of consent laws 
autonomous man, that is, man that is a law to himself, can justify anything. I can. I, I can justify anything I do. I can, know, I can say it's perfectly okay for me to do because A, B, and C. And I can even sound logical. That's why, that's, that's why it says, says a, man, a man seems right when he speaks about his own cause until his neighbor comes and searches him out. That proverb says, because everybody can sound right. Das, what did Dostoevsky say? He says, if there is no God, everything is permissible. That's true. We're seeing that in our culture. And I'm going on and on. Sorry, I need to get to a point. So how did God intend for us to use this world? I want to get into these real distinctions, this ontology here. Well, he intended us to use it according to the way he made to, to its design. Uh, when we reach Romans 1, 26 and 27, uh, we, found a wor- we find the word, uh, the term, and I'm not getting into the specific sins, but we find the word natural use. That's what it says in our in our King James English, the natural use, setting aside the natural use. Uh, Paul later in, in 1 Corinthians 7.31, he said, talks about the righteousness of one who uses the world without abusing it. Set aside for the moment the idea that God has indeed spoken and given express commands, okay? So, which he has. God has given express commands for how we are to behave in every area of our life. That's something I'm going to deal with later. Like, why am I wearing something with two different <laughs> kinds of threads? Am I breaking God's law and then being a hypocrite by talking about morality and sex and things of that nature? I'm sorry, she, she just took off. She thought you... All right, so... He is, he, but he, God has not been silent on the issue. But focus right now on the fact that He is indeed there and, he is, and what is has its being because of His will. So He has created things to be as they are. That's the true ethic. Um, he has made Himself known in nature. He is Lord over all that is and over all that I should do with nature. In other words, let me just say it distinctly. How I use my body, how you use your physical body, how I use the members of my body, just like I was talking about with my hands, matters. And it's something and what I should do and what I should not do has been ordered by God. James captures this aspect of ethics, and this is really the point I wanted to get to. James James 17, we, we've heard that. If you know to do good and do it not, it's... Now, I've had many a preacher make me feel really bad for not joining a lot of different programs and filling up my schedule with a hundred things that I know to do good, and if I don't do them, it's sin. That's not a good way, a good way to... Uh, that's not a good way to teach... Uh, because it's taking that thing out of context. What was the context of what that says? Therefore, to him that knows to do good. What's that therefore, therefore? We always got to read things in context, right? Uh, So what James intended to say was the known good, which if we fail to do is sin was seeking the will of God in everything we do. I don't want you to have to go back and study that entire context, but the entire context is verse 13 of James 4 through verse 17. And what was the story? He says, if you say uh, today we're going to go, or tomorrow we're going to go down to a city, we're going to do certain things, we're going to do this, but but you should have said, you ought to have said, if the Lord wills, we will do this and this and that. It is seeking the will of God in all things. And this idea is profound, that many ignorant and legalistic ministers have portray- is more profound than what they have portrayed it to be. James marks a difference between two separate ways. 
that people live their lives. And, gives the, and then gives the imperative. You ought to do good. and Because you know it's good to do this. It's good to seek the Lord's will. And if you don't seek the Lord's will, it is sin. Think about that. That's literally what that text teaches. There are a lot of people, even in church, just setting this subject aside and thinking broadly. Are you seeking the will of God in all parts of your life? If not, you're sinning. Now let's apply it to sexuality. There's a lot of people that are not truly seeking God's will. I don't want to get ahead of myself here, and I don't want to keep, I don't want to be like Pharaoh and keep God's people. But this is an important thing here. This is what might be called, James was preaching against what might be called today secularism. Living and acting as if there was no God. Even in things that might be good to the world's eyes. It's good to go to a certain city, and it's good to make gain, and it's good to have profit, and it's good to, it's good to provide for yourself, and it's good. But if you've done all that without seeking God's will, it's sin. Even if you put the Christian moniker over your head and say, I'm a Christian but you're not seeking the will of God in your life? In the things that you do on a daily basis, it's sin. That's secularism. Going about as if God wasn't there. Going about as if God has not spoken. Or as it says in Romans 8.28, or 1.28, they didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. And that was the answer, by the way, to sexual sins. But what is good is that which is first predicated on the will of God. All people are ethically bound. You are ethically bound. I am ethically bound to seek God's lordship in everything. Even if we're doing things which are admired by others and admired by society and saying things that gets us a bunch of likes on social media, if we're not seeking the Lord's will in what we say and what we do, it's evil. Profoundly evil. Fundamentally evil. Why? Because He's Lord. I feel like I need to get somewhere here. Too few in this life think on this fundamental level, but we have to think on this fundamental level. If I am to be ethical, an ethical person, I must know and then act on what I believe to be the Lord's will. This is what separates sinful, autonomous person from a faithful, ethical person. Full dependency upon Him as Lord to direct my life and your life. What does the knowledge of the creature-creator distinction teach us about how we are supposed to live? How we are supposed to use the very uh, uh, members of our body? How are we supposed to conform to the teleological purposes that created in them by God and so on forth? Uh, it, it teach, this, is, this is everything ethical. Uh, I am to give and not to steal. I am to care for and not to kill. I am to bless and not to curse. These are what things I do with the members of my body. James chapter 4 went on, or before that very thing, uh, James chapter 3 rather, talked about blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth is like salt water and sweet water coming out of the same well. It's just equally useless and it contaminates and pollutes the entirety of the thing. Uh, I am supposed to conform what I do with my tongue, what I do with my hands and everything else universally to what he has revealed his will to be. Paul drew the same conclusion, and I want to quit right after this. I promise, you're going to, I promise I'm going to get somewhere. But to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because it says something very interesting here. Uh, James corrected 
in James 4 corrected secular philosophy, Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 corrects hedonistic philosophy. Now, what's hedonism? Whatever pleases me, that's what I'm going to do. I mean, long before we had this whole self-creation ideology that I am my own God and everything, and there is no nature, uh, there was people who says, well, well, there is a nature, and the purpose of nature is for me to please myself and live for my own pleasure. So Paul corrects it here, specifically about sexuality here. And by the way, if we fail to teach this, the Bible has a lot to say about sexual morality. Um, and it behooves us to know what it says. I'll get there. 1 Corinthians 6, 13. Well, verse 12, he just got done saying there's going to be people deceived. That's a subject for a later time. Fornicators, idolaters, and adulterers, and so on will not inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. He says in verse 12, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. That's a subject for later. Now the body is not for fornication. The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. Now, I want to take three or four minutes to unpack this, just real quick. What's he describing here? As a self-contained cycle that people live in. Meat for the belly, belly for the meats, meat for the belly, belly for the meats. It's a self-contained cycle of appetite and saying the appetite exists to be fulfilled. And things, things exist to fulfill the appetite. And that's all there is to life, is me getting what I want. Belly for the meats, meats for the belly. This was Paul's argument against a life lived in sexual immorality. This is what he says you're doing. You are literally living this out. You're saying, you're saying that that's all there is, is this cycle. Belly for the meats. Meats for the belly. That's all there is. I'm getting satisfied, and this thing exists simply to satisfy me. This was Paul's argument against a life of sexual morality. And he says, the body is not for fornication. That's what he says. This is how he describes what he just said. The body is not for sexual immorality. What we have in this above statement, meat for the belly, belly for the meats, is a description of a life lived in sexual immorality. But what, how does he correct it? How should we then live, Paul, if we're not living for our appetites? He said, the body is for the Lord. We sing that hymn, take these hands and let them be, take this mouth and let it be, right? We sing that hymn sometimes, the body is for the Lord. Romans chapter 6, yield your members, the members of your real physical body, yield them to God as instruments of righteousness. What is my hand supposed to be? Instruments of righteousness. What is my tongue supposed to be? An instrument of righteousness. You can see very well how Paul is applying this to the area of sexuality. The body is for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. In other words, as James taught, the body is meant to seek the will of God and to be pleased in the Lord's will. We should do a study sometime on Christian contentment. I'm afraid that I'm afraid it's so I'm afraid that so many of my problems that I still have in my life due to, is due to the sin of not being content. That's probably the problem with my finances a lot of times. I'm not content with what I got in the refrigerator, so I'm going to go spend X amount of dollars on something that I, that I find more appealing. I'm not saying don't ever treat yourself to an ice cream, but, <laughs> but you know. And then wonder why the checkbook is just not adding up anymore. <laughs> why am I in debt? 
I mean, the sin of the sin of discontentment. The body's for the Lord, and the Lord, that is His will, is for the body, for the body to be content in, for the body to rejoice in. I can't remember when I and I've gotten away from the Lord in this area again. Pray for me. <laughs> uh, how how happy I was going the speed limit <laughs> because I felt like the, Bi- the Bible says in Romans 13 to obey the powers that be and the powers that be put that speed limit sign and I'm sinning against God when I'm speeding and then I said I'm going to start going the speed limit I'm going to start obeying God in this matter and I felt so good now I feel just conviction <laughs> but more broadly that's what I'm getting the the Lord is for the body, the body is for the Lord. We exist, all the members of our body exist for Him and to delight in Him in doing His will. I want to stop there and this is, this is a greater life than the cycle. Well, the belly is for the meats. Well, what's the meats for? They're for the belly. Well, what's the belly for? It's for the meats. <laughs> and this endless cycle of going nowhere and just living for the appetite and think, you know, this is a horrible thing. You know why people feel used? It's because they're treated by others as if they are a commodity for their appetite to be fulfilled with. That's why this hedonism that people are living in, this my truth, this authenticity idea is evil. You want to see people trampled and people used. See this philosophy lived out. It's not good. It's wrong. And when we declare that He is Lord, we are declaring the precious truth that they need to hear that we need to hear again and again and again if we are to live. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he delight day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his due season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. What is this? This is ungodliness. It's me. Everything's for me. To live in the... It's ungodliness. And it withers and it dies. And ultimately it's destined for a fire. We have something far better to declare than that. I hope you receive something from the Word of God. And we'll pick up here next week building upon this subject... Um, let's go ahead and be, uh, let's be dismissed with the doxology.